What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by my man, Aaron Straker. Aaron, thank you for being here, dude. Thank you for having me. I think this is the first podcast that I've been on multiple times. So this is the first. Really? I think this is your second. This is your third. Uh, Technically fourth, because we. (laughs) this is our second time recording this one. But we did Nutrition for Hypertrophy. We did the episode with you and Brian. And then this is the second time doing this one. So welcome back. I forgot. I I do so many podcasts with Brian, of course. So I forgot (laughs) that him and I were on. So yeah, I guess this would be. This is the first, second, and the first third for me. So happy to well, be back. I'm glad I could be that for you, man. So it has been a while since you've been on. I believe it's been over a year now, actually. So just for the listeners who might not be familiar, first of all, can you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to right now? Yeah. So my name is Aaron Straker. I am an online nutrition coach and educator. I work primarily with males who are looking to live between 11 and 14% body fat. I'm also taking on a lot of your emerging coaches in the space. I'm really, really big on objectivity and bringing some of the more data heavy aspects of um, recording metrics into coaching and helping to lay out uh, pragmatic plans and that sort of thing. I'm also really, really big on educating and being a champion of your own health. So I speak a lot around um, learning how parts of your internal health work, right? Taking charge of your own uh, internal health and getting blood work, routine labs, that sort of thing, and just understanding more of what goes into your own health as opposed to just, you know, macros and uh, working out really hard type of deal. Absolutely. And I know I've told you this before, man, but I don't think there's anyone else in the space that gets me as excited to like eat micronutrient-dense foods and really just focus on maximizing my health as you do, because you do such a good job like bridging the gap between that and like, okay, how does this tie into aesthetics? How does this tie into like, right? Because I feel like there's a clear, like we can look at it as like, okay, like uh, this isn't as exciting as like just talking about getting jacked. You do such a good job like tying all these things together. Um, so I really appreciate that about you. And I'll also say like for all the listeners, for any men listening, like you are definitely one of the top people in the space I recommend working with if you're looking for a coach. I know, especially for like, coaches that are looking to learn more themselves you do such a good job not just helping people change their own physiques but also educating along the way that's something i really really appreciate about all the work you do man um so really i'm excited to get into our topic today which is really just talking through when and why fat loss fails and kind of digging into some overlooked outcomes or aspects for improving client outcomes so my first question for you on this topic we're about to dig into is why do you feel like covering these overlooked aspects is important for coaches or for those that are coaching themselves? Yeah, so the reason I think it's super important is because these are like the indirect uh, factors that are backbones of successful client transformations or the kind of uh, pieces that fell through the gaps of failed, you know, transformations Mm -hmm. that failed or failed projects or people who, you know, give up that sort of thing. And people use the term like willpower, I feel like way too broadly and and strongly and not really digging into like, there's generally reasons why willpower is much simpler for other people for, sorry, for some people than others. And that's kind of what I wanted to really just put out with that. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I think this is a very important conversation to have because I know like for newer coaches, it's so easy for us to just look at like calories in calories out right but here we're digging so much deeper into that because i i can imagine like coaches listening to this or anyone that's self-coach has like gone through this process looked at okay my calories or my client's calories are where they should be and they're still not losing right and then it's kind of like well now what so i'm excited to dig into this um really i think first of all from a time perspective like how does getting into these aspects kind of help the coach or the person that's self-coaching Yeah. So it, what can really do is just help you see how far you, how far that, that, that gap is that you need to bridge for whatever transformation or outcome you're looking for. Because I kind of think of them as like, like check boxes, right? So as I'm onboarding a client or if you're self coaching out there, really just looking to learn more prep for, you know, summer coming up or something like that. If, if that's what you're interested in, it's important to understand that there's like these indirect aspects like I call them or overlooked aspects. And mm-hmm. if you can check them all off, right, you're in a really good spot and it's really just becomes kind of time resources 
having a good guide and, and staying the course, right? And, and understanding how to be flexible and that sort of thing. That being said, I find it more and more common in the space that people are nowhere near ready and checking off at, you know, at least half of these boxes type deal uh, as going into it. And it's just framing the conversation then as, as a coach is like being super transparent, like, hey, we're not looking at it. I know, I know you saw the Instagram posts. It's like eight weeks to summer shred and that sort of thing. But like, it's just, you're not in that, in that position. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I think that's important too, man, because also it saves you a lot of frustrated clients who didn't come in with realistic expectations and kind of like that three and out case where it's like, okay, client signs up for three months, which is a minimal contract. And then they leave because they didn't get the results they expected. Right. But being able to like, as a coach go into this with, Hey, here's what we can expect. Here's like, if we are or aren't ready to dig into some fat loss. So I think this is very important. Um, so I would ask, are there a few most common client pro- problems or let's say like pillars that you've noticed cause fat loss stalls? Yeah. So I like to break the pillars into, well, the, 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 the thing, the common things into three pillars, right? Training, nutrition, and then basically everything else that you do in your life that is not training and nutrition, which we call wrap up as like lifestyle basically. Okay. Okay. So we have nutrition, we have training, we have lifestyle. Um, how do you kind of see this as these actually manifest as problems with our clients? Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So some of like the biggest ones you're going to see is like sleep debt, right? People, there's like, as much as I I hate seeing it and I I don't like to use the word hate because it's a strong word, dislike (laughs) seeing it, but like earn your sleep, sleep when you're dead type of thing. And what's interesting, it really becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy Whereas like as you sleep less, like your life objectively gets worse. And then as you continue to reinforce that pattern, your subjective like uh, well-being continues to diminish because you are like bought into this type of thing. So I can tell you the people who generally like sleep a lot, you know, the, the recommended like seven to eight hours per night, like mm-hmm. they live really good lives when the time, when it comes time to like, you know, add muscle or uh, drop fat and these sorts of things like they have less levers that they need to like uh, get in line and they can pull those levers and it actually works because you're not fighting your physiology in terms of it. So like sleep debt is a big one. Um, people just trying to do way too much, right? It's, it's the, it's your CrossFit crowd, not to bash CrossFit, but like your CrossFit crowd who's like then bodybuilding on top of it and then running hill sprints on their, on their active recovery day. And I'm like, Right. Your heart rate's above 180. Like that, what, what, where in recovery is it, are you getting confused? So you're above your lactate threshold. You're completely glycolytic, you know, uh, anaerobic activity. That's not a recovery day type of thing. Um, so that sort of thing. And then the people who are just, you know, uh, the, the, obviously the, the, the nutrition side of it too, like completely pulling carbohydrate, trying to jump from like a, you know, not having much structure into like a 40% deficit or something like that. And then, you know, not uh, quite understanding why their energy levels are crashing, why they have this intense hunger, why they just don't have enough willpower and all these sorts of things. So really it's just uh, trying to reel them back into what might be most uh, practical for them. Okay, absolutely. So if we would look at like why fat loss doesn't like quote unquote doesn't work many times it's safe to say that these are like some of the biggest issues that we're seeing new clients come in with is that right yeah i mean so it's really important that and i actually was just having a conversation with jordan lips about this that was really really good the same basic principles generally apply right of course we need calorie deficit we need consistent calorie deficit over a period of time that being said, there's these like indirect factors like I'm talking about that will greatly influence your ability to adhere or get derailed from this pursuit because of these other activities. So it's it's these things that we're speaking about and, are go- and going to go into, they will dramatically um, either help or impair your ability to adhere, which is ultimately what drives the facility or dri- what drives the um, the fat loss adaptations of whoever is looking for. Absolutely. Okay, that makes complete sense. So let's start digging into these pillars. Basically, we understand that things aren't working, but now we're kind of getting into okay, why aren't they working? So let's kick this off with the nutrition pillar. Um, what are some common pitfalls or mistakes you see when we're talking about nutrition? Yeah, so I mean, well, some of the biggest ones are just like trying to do too much like IIFYM, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
and it's man it the, the whole flexible dieting is like a gift and a curse at the same time because uh, personally what I do with my clients is like we have what I call like a feeding framework right and there are these like you know this is this bounds that I would like you to operate within but as long as you're within those bounds like you are free to operate right I'm not like hey okay. you know Tuesday at lunch you need 80 85 grams of ground beef you know 937 okay but people what I so what I personally preach and you know if new coaches out there uh, what I recommend you preaching your clients is picking a threshold right and then practice uh, preaching that so what I do 85 to 90 percent whole quality nutrient dense food sources 10 to 15 percent say that you can reserve for whatever you decide are flexible foods but then people come back we're like what what is really like 10 to 15 percent look like and I'm like well fortunately we have daily you know calorie totals and goals we run the math right periods of caloric surplus we have more flex flexibility periods of caloric deficit where you're eating a total you know smaller volume of food we need to rope things in a little bit more um so within that it's just like when you are too flexible one one of the things is especially as this has kind of come in the more more recent years of all the um, like low carb, zero sugar type new sweeteners and things like getting fortified with various types of uh, um, fibers and things like that to bring down the net carbs is mm-hmm. some people it'll just wreck their their GI right. Okay. So um, then they're watery, their digestion's not great, they're bloated, and that's like um, will obviously retain water. It will mess with your weekly trends and reporting and that sort of thing. So really, just pulling like some of that stuff back. So really just focusing on nutrient dense foods and not getting going too crazy um, with the flexible diet. So that's like one of the first things there, not having any structure, right? So what I briefly mentioned is I have like this feeding framework and it's just a way to reverse engineer the day to help clients become much more consistent uh, without really making them have to think super, super high level uh, to to plan out each day. Um, So those are like the first two big ones that I generally see. Okay. Okay. So within that, I know that micronutrient density is a pretty big piece of this as well. Do you feel like we already kind of summed that up or was there anything further you'd like to dig into there? Yeah. The only thing I would say there is when you are dieting, right? Your total caloric capacity comes down. That's how fat loss works. That being said, your micronutrient diversity that your body needs to thrive remains the same. So your opportunity to reach all of those micronutrients has now diminished, right? So right. it's important that it's like a, it's what's that, what's that term? It's opportunity cost on the foods mm-hmm. selected for, hey, we need to reduce calories, obviously to adhere, but we need to increase the micronutrient density of the foods that make up those calories because your physiology and biology still needs your, you know, bare bones to thrive. And that's where I think a lot of people will, um, don't understand that and then end up with these you know nutrient deficiencies to varying degrees which can uh, impact their progress because certain things like thyroid hormone a great example or, or thyroid i should say a great example needs things like selenium right tyrosine right. And, and iodine right to, to to make thyroid hormone and if you're never having any of these things because you're doing way too much you know IIFYM but you're meeting your macros but you're not getting any nutrient density in these are some of the pathways that these things can kind of show up absolutely and I, I think that's so important I think that's so overlooked because I think that the industry did swing super and I think it seems like things are going back the other direction it could very well just be like the coaching circle that we are in as well so I'm not sure if that's actually the case that's what it is unfortunately if okay way, because you know Generally, yeah. good people, good coaches run in, in pretty good circles, but yeah. there'll be times where I'm at, you know, a, a gym or something like that, and I'll not, this is another reason I like to have my headphones all the time, so I don't have to listen to the conversations <laughs> going around me, but there are times when they die or something like that, and I hear, like, a trainer talking to his clients or something, and I'm just like, oh, my God, like, dude, we still have so far to go. But I keep the mouth <laughs> shut. I know, my, I know my time and my place, and it's, it's definitely not there, so... Uh, I just listen and take notes and then try and do always do better. Absolutely. Uh, a question for you, as far as nutrition goes, if somebody has, if somebody's already eating relatively low calories and their hunger is super low, is that like a red flag to you at all or no? Yep. It's definitely okay. a red flag because 
what that tells me is there's already some sub, some level of adaptation going on. Okay. Right? And then we know as you diet, the adaptation will only increase, right? And adaptations work in both positive and negative, generally as you're feeding up, right? And uh, metabolic function, endocrine capacity upregulates, that's a positive adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. We can eat more food, maintain our body weight, you know, that sort of thing. The more commonly talked about adaptations are negative, right? As uh, it's, they're basically survival mechanisms for our body, right? To conserve right. energy and that sort of thing. So when someone comes in, they're not eating a lot and they're not hungry. Um, what I do there is uh, first I start asking questions, right? Because I've mm-hmm. had clients who think they're supposed to be hungry and then they like want to be tough and then show me how tough or cool they are or whatever not realizing they're like no i'm trying to get honest information out of you so that i can right. just help you right it's not like right. there's no this like i'm gonna you know people joke around like their girlfriend like you know uh giving them tests or something like that and like, oh, right. oh i was testing you like no there's none of that like, i'm asking <laughs> you a, an at face question please be as honest as you can because we want to match expectations so that we can you know facilitate a really good coaching relationship so if you are really hungry Please tell me because we will feed you more food, right? Uh, obviously right. within within the context of your goal. But then if you're not hungry, right, and we're not eating a lot of food, that's also generally a red flag because we need generally a, a lengthy reverse to start to get things moving in the direction we want just from a like a metabolic resiliency type of thing. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. So within that, you have... Okay, so like, let's say we have just a hypothetical. We have an already lean person trying to get shredded, which I would say is probably kind of like you're at. Let's say it's a dude that's trying to go from like 13% body fat to like sub 10% body fat, right? So within that, like, is it safe to assume that if the client is on low calories but just not hungry, they probably aren't making progress? Because the hypothetical I was going to hit you with is like, with is like, what if they are making good progress but there's still this like hardly any hunger present, right? Like, are we, is that still something we're concerned about or what are your thoughts on that? Well, what is like, what is the context of the current periodization, right? Are they in fat loss? They're in, okay, so they're in fat loss. They're three months into a diet already. Calories are low. They're not really that hungry. Um, I would dig in, ask more questions around like, what did the last eight months look like? Six, eight, 12 months. Were you at a surplus for a long time? And now you're kind of here. Um, because I'll be, you know, super transparent with myself. Like last year when I dieted, like I never, there were two times in my diet, I was actually truly hungry. And Mm -hmm. I, I timed my gym timing and and pre-workout meal like too far. And it'd been like five hours and I had, okay. Those were, you know, but other than that, as long as I was doing, you know, my due diligence of timing and stuff, I was never really hungry, but I was also eating like two pounds of fresh vegetables a day. So I was playing the volume game, right? Because I know how to play the game. Yeah. Um, But with them, I would just see like, okay, what, what were the previous, you know, however many months look like? And then how long has the, the deficit been going on? What does that rate of progress look like? Are we in that? rate of loss based off of or, or those upper to lower bounds of rate of loss based on whether they're you know a beginner intermediate and advanced type thing so really just always asking a lot more questions to make sure that i'm not mm-hmm. making any assumptions okay okay absolutely so it sounds like essentially what we're really looking for here is again like we can play the volume game we can do a good job subsiding hunger within that but if we have a client who is eating very low calories and they're just like still not hungry and it looks like, hey, to actually see progress, we might have to cut things further. That's where this has started to become a much larger red flag, right? Yeah, because I mean, you can you can go down the road, you can go down the fat loss road hard and then you're going to have a much bigger road ahead of you on a reverse. I'm hoping that the reverse doesn't just come with slingshotting weight back on. Um, okay. When you get into this part, because like, everyone has these these bounds were like, sure, we all want to look good. We want the physique, but many of us aren't like professional dieters, right? There's like no, there's no trophy, you know, unless you're getting on stage that you are going to win going from 13% to like 9% body fat. There are, however, um, impacts to your life that may come with what that pursuit requires of you. And everyone's going to have that threshold where it can't, you know, if you have a wife and children and like, your kids have been asking you for pizza for the last like eight weeks. And you're like, no, I need to get, you know, shredded for Instagram. You kids can't have pizza type of thing. Like, 
<laughs> everyone has those trade-offs in, in their life and you know not, not nor I am anyone going to be able to really tell you where that is in your life but right. when you start at a low place like your runway is just shorter before these sorts of things begin to manifest themselves in your life okay I, I think that's a really good way to frame it so from a training perspective and we can probably touch on this kind of lightly because i imagine most of this conversation will be centered around nutrition but from a training perspective what are kind of the most common pitfalls we run into here yeah so first one is definitely i i don't like the word overtraining. it's under recovery mm-hmm. because right. there's someone who's going to do your training volume that you're getting your ass kicked on and thrive on but their right. recovery capacity is obviously just larger so um, too much volume for the current recovery capacity, not any form of uh, measurable progression or metrics, right? So again, not to bash on CrossFit or anything like that, but due to its constantly varied state, it's mm-hmm. hard to objectively measure whether you're making progress or not. And right. then kind of overlapping soreness, right? If it's legs and your legs are so like, well, okay, today's Thursday, right? Tomorrow is Friday, we're training legs. Let's say we train legs on like Saturday. If your legs are still mm-hmm. smashed and you're going to go in and try and train them again and they're already super sore, right? Odds are you're not going to um, progress any of your movements or your weights or any volume or anything like that. And then you're just, you know, further uh, hindering that recovery capacity again from there. So, like those sorts of things, too much frequency, too much volume, not a, which are really just not enough recovery capacity. And then way too much intensity, right? Thinking that everything needs to be 100 miles per hour type of deal. Absolutely, man. And at least with since we work with mostly women, I think this is just more common to what I see. But I feel like I, so many women hop up board who, and this is kind of similar to what we were discussing before, where it's like, hey, I train six to seven days a week. I have one rest day a week. And on that rest day, like my active recovery is hit. And I do like a 60-minute hit workout. And like not getting into like, well, if it's 60 minutes, is it necessarily actually hit? But like still like... There's just so, there's so much going on there where it's like, Hey, we actually need to pull this back so much, like maybe three to four days a week. But I really, I also think like the distinction between like, it's not necessarily actually overtraining, but under recovering is something that we see quite often. Um, so from an environmental perspective, kind of the environmental pitfalls you see, what are the most common ones there? Oh man, here we go. You get sleep, right? Stress, uh, energy levels, digestion, we already we um, we already said stress. We said sleep. Um, yeah, so those are some of the big ones. Obviously, hunger too. But we talk okay. about hunger generally uh, in in terms of the, the nutrition side. But uh, okay, those are big ones. Why is digestion a problem or something we need to be worried about? Yeah. So, like I said uh, really early in the podcast, one of my kind of uh, uh, core core components of, my, of coaching is just being being really objective with, with the metrics mm-hmm. and stuff because it helps us make better informed decisions some of the some of the largest downfalls to you know people who are self-coaching dieting or even like literally it's funny because like i myself obviously am a coach whenever i'm like going to actually be dieting and stuff i will always have a coach because i'm emotionally invested into the outcome of this diet and that clouds your judgment and decision making so going back like i said the the being objective here is it helps us make decisions like oh okay I literally had a client last week and they were like, you know, you know, I asked them like, what, what, what wasn't working well this week? And they're like, oh, well, I I wasn't happy with my weight fluctuations this week. And I was like, okay. So I go in and look, their weight fluctuated a bit this week, but we were still down like 1.4 pounds over last week. I'm like, and we had a new low. So I was like, we're right within the bounds of what we want week over week. Or we were down 1.4, you know, average pounds over last week, and you had your lowest weigh-in to date. But like they were just fixating on the like, some days it went up, some days it went down. So like if we didn't have those objective metrics, because if what they were reporting to me was subjective perceptions of emotions and feelings, right, which are valid, right? right? It's, it's, we're humans; right. it's human nature. Fortunately, we have like the math and science that can invalidate your feelings when you want fat loss. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, um, that one is like you know beneficial um, there, and I'm now kind of forgetting what we were talking about originally. So if you could give me why digestion is important. Yes, digestion. Okay, perfect. So with digestion itself, when digestion isn't smooth, right? If you have 
bowel movements that are at different times every single day, if you're bloated mm-hmm. from certain foods, if you're super gassy, these are all indicators that your food or the food that you are putting in your stomach and, and going through your GI isn't optimized, right? So we are, when, when things are all over the place like that or when you're having like super loose stools and stuff, your small intestine is not absorbing all the nutrients that you know it can from the food. And because we're mm-hmm. in a calorie deficit, we're already at a diminished capacity to uptake uh, uh, nutrients anyway because we're eating a lower you know total caloric intake. So I mean, we right. want all the nutrients we can squeeze out of this you know lower calorie diet. But if you're having you know uh, super super loose BMs or you're super bloated and that sort of thing, right? Your your digestion is not running optimally. So. What happens with that is you get larger weight fluctuations. When you take your check-in photos, if you're super bloated, it's not going to be a true representation of the progress being made because realistically, you could be making progress week over week within the bounds you know, of like a, a high rate of loss, a low weight rate of loss. We like to be in the middle somewhere. But if you're super bloated and your weigh-ins are, are skewing your averages and that sort of thing, like it will affect the decisions and mm. your desire to adhere, right? When you right. take your check-in photos and you're super bloated and you're like, I, I hate to use the word like shame, but you're not happy about them. You're not like, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna crush my macros today. Like I'm seeing I'm I'm seeing this tangible progress sort of thing. Like it can mask the progress that you are making. So before going into a fat loss phase, like di- fixing and supporting and keeping digestion, you know, tip top is always top of order before entering the fat loss phase. Okay, that makes complete sense. So basically, um, it sounds like then one from an objective data standpoint, like when you see things trending down, which of course like us bloating or retaining a lot of water can like create issues with that, it's harder to be motivated. And then also when we're talking about your nutrient status, which micronutrient status, which we discussed before, like that, again, if we're not absorbing all those nutrients, then we can have downstream effects on, for example, like thyroid hormone. Is that right? Definitely. Okay. Perfect. So then let me ask you this from like, I would assume this kind of falls into the environmental side of thing. Do you feel like, cause I know a lot of people we work with, I think that like part of like having a coach is like the type A personality is kind of attracted to that or like this like very go-getter personality. Do you see that in and of itself as kind of being a problem? I, sh- I wouldn't say it is kind of a problem. It can lead to, uh, there's patterns of these types of personalities that make uh-huh. them successful that can uh-huh. eventually backfire for certain things like fat loss because these are like your do more people, right? The yes, yes, right. yes. If, if 10 is great, 30 is going to be fantastic. These are people who are like training every single day because they think that's what they need to move the needle. They're waking up at 4 a.m. after only four hours of sleep to go do cardio because they think more is better type of thing. Right. So, and, and, and generally with these sorts of people, like there's fortunately we have like research on this, right? So these are the people who generally will have like your heart attacks earlier, even though they may not be, um, you know, fit the, the, um, the, the stereotypical body image type of thing for those, but it's just stress. They're very, very high stress people. And in later stages of fat loss, stress is one, it's catabolic hormone. So you do Mm -hmm. run the risk of um, catabolizing lean muscle mass as a fuel substrate, right? If, if, if you're, uh, if other environmental um, factors, right, uh, support that, but also it just makes things much harder than they need to be. So one of the things is, it's it's like the less stressed you are and can be during fat loss because fat loss is a physiological stressor in and of itself as is training so we don't Mm -hmm. want to continue to stack more stressors on top of it because again your the proclivity to adhere is a massive aspect of it you can remove these um what's the word i'm looking for if we can remove some of these factors that will negatively impact your desire and ability to adhere, it's much more, you know, smoother seas to our desired, you know, fat loss outcome. But if you are not sleeping because you're super stressed out, if you are doing so much, you know, cardio and these different things that your time schedule is down and now you're scrambling for meals and all these other things that stress you out, it's just more, you know, shit in your way 
that is impacting your ability to simply adhere over a period of, you know, however long your, your, your diet phase is going to be, 8, 12, 16, 20 weeks, type of thing. Absolutely. And I know you touched on willpower, but I think like all that shit that's in the way is kind of like when people run out of willpower, it's like, hey, there's probably a lot more that we could have done here that would have made it so we don't like have to quote unquote run out of willpower if we would have first focused on like stress management. Right, right. Absolutely. One other question on the environment. Um, Are night shifts or like somebody that does shift work a problem? It will be harder for you because by nature of your hours and everything, you are fighting your physiology. Um, So eating during biological night, right? Getting quality sleep during biological day when there's obviously a ton of blue light, that sort of thing. And the fact that your shift workers very rarely are 100% on that opposite shift. It's like I work four days, which are nights, and then I'll have like you know, another four days off. And because I want to see my friends, family, etc., I will switch back to, you know, sleeping during biological night. So it's like your circadian rhythm is constantly in this flux and that mm-hmm. will, that's going to change like blood sugar levels, right? Obviously cortisol levels, melatonin production, right? Melatonin and cortisol generally work in an inverse relationship with each other. Um, so it's things like that, that it's the constant like uh, shifting of these things that right. makes it harder. And two, just getting consistent meal times and being hungry at the same times and that sort of thing. Okay. So yeah, to okay. in summary, is it doable? Yes. Is it harder for you than your uh, day walking counterparts? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And I think that's important too. Like, hey, this isn't to say if you're a shift worker, just don't try. Like you can absolutely still do it. But again, there will be some challenges that come along with that. Um, so now that we kind of identify the common pitfalls, let's dig into what we do instead. And let's kind of start with like, how can we set the environment up to better support the goal? Yeah, so one thing is that uh, I'll say to start with is just understanding timelines and extending timelines. That's, okay. one of the, that's one of the first things that I find as a coach that I have to realistically have with clients because so much of you know, the fitness industry thing, there's six week shred, eight week shred. People really think that they are going to diet for like six weeks and have an entirely new physique. And I will tell you, the <laughs> people who are shredded after six weeks are the people who started shredding at six weeks. Right. <laughs> or, or sorry, right. week zero type of thing. Um, so the first one, just understanding timelines. And that's really, really big. And then leveraging nutritional periodization to help this be easier for you. Because so many people go from having like no real plan or quantification of their calories, macronutrients, anything like that, and then starting and think they're going right into a calorie deficit. And while it's doable, the likelihood of success is significantly lower. Um, So I'm a super, super big proponent of just nutritional periodization and leveraging that to your advantage. It's literally like a superpower uh, from what it can do. So from reverse, reversing calories up, pushing into a surplus, that sort of thing, and then starting a deficit from a period of really, really high caloric intake where there's pretty much zero hunger whatsoever. The calorie deficit just sounds nice so you don't have to eat as much food as you have. <laughs> like starting from these places, like your leverage for success is so much higher. It just requires more patience on the front end. Okay. So I want to get your take from a coaching perspective. How do you kind of, because I imagine very similar to what we see, you probably have a lot of clients who have been dieting for a very long time that start with you continuing to want to diet. But how do you kind of frame that conversation to get client buy-in where like, hey, like this isn't, I understand this is what you want, but this isn't the direction we need to go right now. Like how do you kind of sell that to the client, so to speak? Yeah, so one of the easiest ways to sell it um, is, and this is a more advanced uh, approach, is getting lab work, right? So one thing that that I've been, uh, a a, a term that I've been using a lot more is like a prove it methodology, like prove it to me. And what that means is like, give me logs, right? I want hunger signals, right? I want lab work, I want all these things that prove that you're in a fantastic position to, you know, go down this route very few times can anyone do that right so it's just it's it instead of me having to make the decision of like no we are not going to do that 
I can easily put it back on the client and say, prove to me that we are in a position to be, to be able to do that. Very rarely can anyone do that. So it helps shift the conversation. And it's not like, oh, my coach isn't letting me diet. It's, <laughs> I'm not ready. And here's like these kind of things. Why? So from there, obviously, we'll dig in a little bit more. Like what are, or where are some of these things in your life where some of these things might be manifest right people maybe they can't maybe they value going out and having a drink on, on the weekend or eating out mm-hmm. but because they're under leveraged with their with their current calorie intake and how they're are the, the, the calorie intake that they're maintaining their body weight on it's like too there's not enough room right or maybe there's too much stress right. or, or fear around it that sort of thing um so i mean from the i mean i frame it as like the, the eating more maintaining your body weight is never a weak point it is always a strength except when it comes time to want to increase your body because then you have to eat a lot more to do that right so obviously like metabolisms are super adaptive right you have that like adaptive thermogenesis type of thing that as you eat up right you're going to burn more and as you diet down naturally your body's going to um, adapt to that and you will burn less but really just putting the ball back in their court uh, and using, like I said, that prove it type of model. I really like that, man, because it's very objective and also like the client can clearly see like, oh shit, okay, now I can understand, I can kind of connect the dots more. Whereas before, like I feel like if you don't have that data, it's even a lot more arbitrary. Like, of course we can explain to a client like, hey, this is why this isn't a good idea. But I really like like for a client that's willing to get blood work, like how objective we can make that. Let's take it in nutrition solutions a little bit. And first I would ask, like, just because it's something I see quite often, do you feel like there's a kind of disconnect with the expectation coaches are setting for their clients, like going into a fat loss phase? Could you explain that uh, to me a little bit differently? So when it comes to expectations in a fat loss phase, Mm -hmm. like, do you feel like coaches fall short explaining like, Hey, this is what's going to be required to achieve the result you want. Or is that something you see often? Um, I, I would agree that I do not think the expectations are matched. Um, And the reason being is because there's assumptions on the client standpoint, there's assumptions on the coach's standpoint. Uh, So one thing in this, this took me a a couple years to really, you know, begin to iron out because it it can be for certain people framed as as an uncomfortable conversation, but just Mm -hmm. making sure that expectations are matched in terms of what that client actually wants. And then, once they do have their goals and the ambition of those goals, like in a document, you guys have them somewhere like concrete, mapping out and explaining like what commitment that takes, right? Maybe you have a client, male, let's say he's 20% body fat. He wants to go to like 15, 16% body fat, right? Okay. Like, okay. You know, that is what I would consider within the same identity. I generally have this mm-hmm. kind of... Um, for males, right? So for any of the females listening, there's, or, or I should say women, which is like terrible. To, uh, I just didn't want to use the term females, I guess. Um, there's obviously for, for women, your body fat percentages are going to be higher relative right. to a, a same, a similar relative Venus, right? So it can be like about eight to like 10% higher. So at like 30% body fat for a male and plus like that person has a certain type of identity. For them to go to like that high teens, maybe 20% body fat, like there's an identity shift that needs to happen. There are parts of the Mm. old identity that they cannot bring with them to live at 20% body fat. I find then going from like 20 to about that, like 10, 11, 12 requires a new identity shift. There's things that you would need to let go regularly to go from like a 19% body fat to like an 11% body fat. And those are like the kind of like, big pillar type thing. So if someone's going within that same identity range of body fat, it's really just like, sometimes it's literally just time and resources. You know what I mean? And fortunately, you know, there's people who have like PhDs and stuff in this and they give us like models that we can use, right? Like rates of gain, rates of loss. We have high end of it. We have low end of it. So we can really just build out a model and then being like, okay, I'm estimating this is going to take us approximately eight weeks if we have consistent week over week progress. Now, what do we know about life? Generally, it doesn't work out that way. We might get something blown up when 
the whole family gets the flu or something like that, right? You get right. sent on a, on a on a last minute business trip to the middle of nowhere where they don't even have a fucking Chipotle, something like that. So what I generally do is like I will build out this model and we always add 50% because realistically that's just what I find of things that just life happens type of thing. So it's just important to like help the client set that expectation or so that way when something like the whole family gets the flu, the client's not like, oh, I fucked it up. Now I'm not going to reach my goal in eight weeks because they think that I think it needs to be done in eight weeks or something like that. So really just managing expect, that expectation and, and communicating that is it, it does leaps and bounds for the coaching relationship and from just, you know, what to expect of each other or what each other is even desiring. I really like that. Pers- I've never looked at it like that. Almost kind of philosophical there when you're talking about like us going, like how much change, almost like a personality. Uh, you didn't use the phrase personality change, but like identity. There we go. Identity shift. Like what an identity shift it is to like move through these different ranges. And that's very true because also I think like very much like us, like a dropping like a couple percent body fat like that isn't nearly as big of a thing as like you mentioned like somebody going from 20 percent body fat to 10 percent body fat right like we could look at like the science of it and it's there's not necessarily like that much more complexity of course like there's the longer the diet and like all these things but really it is again like it is a big identity shift and like the habits and like what's your day-to-day looks like is a lot different that's i don't really have anything valuable to add but i just really like that thought and i'm kind of think about that more Uh, it's well not to not to really derail the conversation but it's it's something that one i've i've been through myself and and understood myself but then also um i've had that from i've had clients right and this is like a this was a big learning experience for me as a coach i've had clients who we got lean you know like Mm -hmm. like nine ten percent body fat and i was like fantastic guy, the super great testimonial or, or transformation stuff to use. And then, you know, we, we, we wrap up coaching and then like a year later, they'll hit me up and they'll like ask me and like, Oh yeah, I'm up like 40 pounds. And I'm like, Whoa, 40 pounds, dude. Like what, what are you, what, what were you doing? And it, mm-hmm. what, what I realized is like, I failed them as a coach in what it took to maintain that or even relatively close. Right. Because the identity right. didn't shift. It was like, I'm going to do this fat loss thing, check the box, and then go back to, you know, who I was and, you know, what I would like, what I'd like to do or whatever. But I never framed it as like, if you want this to, if you want to stay here or relatively around here, there are parts of you when we started that you cannot bring with you anymore. And just framing that and just saying, maybe they decide that they just want to check the box and go back. Right. You know, this particular person didn't. And it really like, I, I, it was like, I took it as like an, Oh, I need to do better so that these sorts of things don't happen again. Yeah, no, you just put that so well. I'm just excited to talk about this with our clients and with my team, honestly, because I really, really like how well you frame that. So I appreciate that. And I think that's very, very valuable takeaway for the coaches as well. Um, so kind of continuing with the theme of nutrition solutions, do you like to try to frame like eating for fat loss or fat loss nutrition different as just like lifestyle nutrition or like maintenance nutrition? Yeah, it, it, it really, really is different. And this is something that I think, so I'm super, super big on context and nuance, right? And using the appropriate mm-hmm. tool for the appropriate job sort of thing. So something that I wouldn't say I disagree with, um, but in this space, you see a lot of like the flexible dieting thing. People are like, just because you're dieting doesn't mean that you have to give up like, you know, having wine with dinner and going out for drinks and stuff like that with friends um, or, you know, whatever. Your favorite foods, your ice cream, that sort of thing. Yes, it can exist in fat loss. If your gap, your covering is huge, right? If your margins are really, really big, if you're starting at 25% body fat, yeah, you can have a glass of wine, you know, a couple times a week with dinner and still see progress over time, the closer you get to your goal, right? And the leaner you get, the smaller your margins become. And the more Mm -hmm. these sorts of like non-needle moving um, foods and drinks, you really want to, the opportunity cost is so high. So I like to frame it as like, we are temporarily eating for a specific outcome. Once we achieve that outcome, 
and go through the proper paces of reversing and recovery and that sort of thing. You can 100% reincorporate these things into your you know, life. But if you want to reach your goal, depending on the ambition of that goal and, and how ambitious it is, temporarily, right? And I always like put asterisks and say like, temporarily, removal of some of these things will benefit you. And the reason I really like to frame it is like so many people like go into a, a calorie deficit thing and they'll use the word like hope. Like I hope it works out. And like I've always been like, we don't have to hope. We literally have math and science. We don't have to hope <laughs> right. in this particular right. context. But it's people trying to maintain the current balance they have and go somewhere new. And it's like you're 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 setting yourself up for a much harder, you know, road than it needs to be. As opposed to like, hey, I'm going to temporarily remove these things from my life so that I can achieve this goal I have and then begin to reincorporate them. So like that's something that I'm super, super big on and I'm probably in a, um, a minority of a lot of coaches in the space speaking about this, but I find when people say like, oh, I have a sweet tooth. And I'm like, well, you have a sweet tooth because you constantly reinforce that pattern with you know, an ice cream sandwich after dinner every single night. I can guarantee you, I feed you 400 grams of carbs and you're eating a lot of meals like and you're not hungry and you don't have and you don't you don't buy them for two weeks like you're not gonna give a shit about those ice cream sandwiches anymore so it's like the things that we constantly tell ourselves like we we reinforce and i like to kind of challenge some clients like hey what do you think about especially for things that will prohibit progress right we all have like we've had those clients who oh well i went out for for a um like a beer or a whiskey or whatever, and then I ended up having four, and then we got a burrito, you know, sort of certain things that kind of lead down paths. So I'm like, well, if we have this, you know, this this format that will happen, or sorry, this, this process that happens, like, what do you think about temporarily maybe not drinking any alcohol for the next two months while we go through this? Like, when was the last time you've taken a challenge like this? So I like to frame it as like a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Because generally, as you know, as we get into our, our 30s and, and things like that, where we don't have as much like challenges in our lives anymore that we frame as challenges, right. things are more problems. Uh, it, it it can be like a, a quest type of thing that um, can be, you know, pseudo little uh, challenges to to tackle. I really like how you're weaving in like some of the coaching psychology here as well, because I again think this is very helpful. I really like what you touched on as far as like so many people going into things with the like. I hope I stick to it mindset, right? Or like, I hope I follow through where just like your language around that in and in itself, it's such a powerful thing. But I, speaking to like the, hey, you can lose whatever amount of weight and still like eat pizza and drink wine, right? That, like, that's something that our team has talked about in the past and constantly we're just shifting away from it more and more. I know we've like had these discussions where it's like, I, to an extent, yes, but the reality is for most people to get a fat loss phase done in a reasonable timeline, like we are going to have to actively pull, at least to a large degree, pull the quantity of those things back within your diet. Because otherwise easily we're in this place where like, hey, what should have been a four month or a three month or however long diet turns into like nine months to a year, right? Where either way, it kind of feels like you're dieting no matter what, it's not very fun. But when we're trying to get so flexible working in all these different foods, which then leads to like measurement inaccuracy or us just going over our calories, we just extend that timeline out for so long. So I really, really like that distinction between like fat loss nutrition versus lifestyle nutrition. Um, When it comes to objective data that you're looking for nutritionally, Are there a few things that we're looking at there as far as like weekly average macro and calorie totals or um, kind of like, can you just talk us through typically like what the data is that you're looking at for here? Yeah. So generally for almost all clients, right? I want a weekly average weigh-in. And I I, I like to ask for daily weigh-ins, right? I say, hey, put it next to your toothbrush, right? Weigh weigh yourself when you're brushing your teeth, record it type of thing. But realistically, if I can get four to five from every moment, I'm happy. Um, okay. Average macronutrients, right? Over over time, I want pictures generally weekly, um, and then things like sleep, 
right, uh, a, re a relative sleep number. Step count is generally what I what I like, and this just helps give me like what I call like a snapshot of a lot of things. Now, there's mm -hmm. certain clients where I might um, ask for uh, different things, like if it's someone that we are really getting fat loss in just to improve their health, I want like resting heart rate. Okay. Um, maybe we want like a fasting blood glucose sort of thing. So there's definitely some other markers and stuff uh, that can be beneficial based on the client. But generally those are kind of like the big pillar type things that I want to see because I want to run averages on them. And then we can just evaluate those over time. Like measurements are another really, really good one that can be um, helpful just to like, like I said, you know, a little bit brief or, or earlier in, in, in the podcast, dieting is such a this, it's, it's emotionally linked. There's there's feelings and stuff to come into it. So people can think like, I had a bad week, right? Bad is a subjective term. We're all mm -hmm. weird, but yeah, okay, it wasn't your best week, but we're still down an average of 0.4 pounds, right? Yeah. We're better off now than we were seven days ago when we talked. So even though you had a bad week, it was still sufficiently you know, productive for us to have a, a, a new low type of thing. So it just helps combat, like the objectivity helps combat some of the, I don't want to call them like the negative aspects of being human, but some of the like self-sabotage things of like fears, right? Subjectivities, emotions, that sort of thing that can really derail people, um, that, that often really do derail people. Okay. Okay. That makes complete sense. And I, I agree. I think the data is such a powerful thing because it's so easy for a client to just be focused on like, okay, what was my weight last Monday? What's my weight this Monday? Right. Whereas especially like if you did like happen to eat more flexible food, for example, we'll often see that weight fluctuate. And it's so easy for them to ignore like, Hey, but your weekly average for last week was like 1.5 pounds lower than the previous week. Like that's a huge win. But that again, that objective data is just so powerful. Um, do you have a couple more minutes here, man? I know we're already at the top of the hour. We're good. I got, I got time. Okay, perfect. So let's dig into lifestyle and biofeedback solutions here, which I would argue is such an underrated piece of this that can really make a massive difference. So first, as far as sleep solutions, talk us through kind of what we can do here. Yeah. So the first thing that I really <laughs> like to do, there's like these check boxes for sleep, right? That mm -hmm. I think really, really uh, make things easier. So reducing blue light exposure later in the evening, right? You can get the blue light blocking glasses if you want to. Um, you can change some. Really, I just like to turn turn lights off a little bit different or stop working super late into the night, which I get. It's hard. I've been guilty of not doing the best with that lately. Um, I'm also a really big fan of setting the temperature low, right? Um, okay. If I'm paying the electric bill, it's going to be probably like 66, 67. Like if I'm not paying the electric bill, I'm going to try and set it in the 50s type of deal. Damn. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's another big one, like a white or sorry, a white noise or a fan, something like that. Um, like a hot shower, I like in the evening too. Um, reading something that's like chill, that's not work or stimulate stimulating in the evening. So just getting like a little bit of a sleep routine, trying consistent sleep and wake times. What's really cool is like once you do nail that, your body will get in this rhythm where you will just you won't need an alarm anymore. It's really, really wild. And you will start waking up like within two to three minutes of when that alarm used to be. It's wild. So like I mean the body we have these internal clocks, right? It's our it's our, our diurnal rhythm. It's just with so many of the advancements, let's call them advancements of modern day society, we can basically extend uh, and, and um, artificially alter, right? Daylight and, and, and nighttime and that sort of thing. And then it does impact our biology, right? So, and these are these like unsung hero type things. When, when sleep is in a really, really great consistent spot and volume is high, stress is lower, right? Your, uh, your, your biomarkers will be better. Like you literally just hold less fat unless you're feeding at such a level that you you know you're in some high surplus or something like that so really it's a it's a superpower it's like an unsung superpower it is truly crazy how so like the last two months i focused more heavily on sleep and for me like the last year and a half has really been focusing on improving my sleep because it was awful for a very long time period and i've gotten in such a good rhythm of waking every morning at the same time going to bed every night at the same time and just like you said like now it's always like i wake up like i normally wake up like between 5 25 and 5 27 my alarm goes off at 5 30 um 
but also Inigo, our dog, like wakes up. It's crazy too because she always like five twenty eight on the dot. Like I'm not like up and moving yet, but she'll like I can hear her like growling down there in her cage. Like she wants something to let her out. So we're kind of both of our circadian rhythms are apparently very aligned. Not very relevant to this podcast at this point. But so to get into hunger, what can we do here? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing here is hunger works as both like a positive and a negative signal, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in a reverse diet or even a calorie surplus, hunger is a fantastic signal. It means we can feed you more, right? Mm-hmm. However, when you get into dieting, obviously there's going to be some level of hunger. But if you are week three, week four in a diet and you're super, super hungry, that's a kind of one of my red flag things, right? So okay. it means we probably didn't push maintenance calories high enough or long enough. Maybe we should have been in the surplus longer or maybe the, the uh, calorie deficit that starting, right? The percentage of deficit is maybe a little bit too deep because we know kind of like we, we talked about previously, a large majority of your diets are not going to be six or eight weeks long if you're really trying to make a change to body composition and you don't right. want to be, you know, hanging off the edge of the cliff dealing with hunger like, unless you're a natural bodybuilding competitor or something like that going to like extremely right. low levels of body fat where that's just what it takes. But I mean, if you're a male and you're dieting to like 10, 12% or something like that, um, you should not have this like intense, crazy amounts of hunger where you can't sleep or you're super, super irritable, that sort of thing. So, um, like I said, it's both a positive and a, uh, I guess can be a negative, uh, signal depending on your periodization. Okay. Very interesting. What about energy levels? Yeah. So the thing with energy is obviously as we go through a calorie deficit, right, um, our available energy, right, will only diminish over time. But if you're Mm -hmm. starting and you're already like crushed and you're dragging ass in the morning um, or you might have like a flipped circadian rhythm sort of thing, like these are like those red flags where I would highly recommend not going through a calorie deficit at this Mm -hmm. time because these things are only going to get worse. And like if you're dragging ass, like what's training going to look like, right? Is training going to be productive enough or is, or is training going to make those energy levels even worse, right? So uh, are you having like swings in blood sugar, that sort of thing? If you're not having like a stable stable blood sugar or maybe like your insulin sensitivity is off, like I would highly recommend like waiting until you get these things roped in, right? Focusing on staying at maintenance a little bit more while these biofeedback signals improve so that your fat loss attempt isn't just significantly harder than it really needs to be. Okay, absolutely. So if we're having like big post-meal or like midday slumps in energy, is that a red flag at all? It could be. Um, The first thing I I would check there is like, are we sleep garbage right first thing there okay. or something else that i have have had clients do is like inadvertently not paying attention having these like massive carbohydrate lunches um which then obviously it's going to spike your blood sugar your pancreas is going to pump a bunch of insulin to help deal with that and then you get that like you know that blood sugar uh, uh energy swing crash type thing so mm-hmm. just checking client logs making sure someone's not having like 140 grams of carbohydrate you know, lunch or something like that with very little fat or very little protein. Uh, that's another, like I've, I've literally had that happen where I've checked food logs. I'm like, Oh, come on. You should should know better than that type of thing. So that's another one there. Uh, and then just seeing like, do we need to take a diet break? Right. Maybe you have been dieting for a while, right. And they're starting to, to hit a wall. Maybe you've already covered a really, really large gap. Do you need a month at maintenance or something like that to help, um, improve some of these signals a little bit temporarily so that you can get back into it. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes complete sense. So digging into digestion, it sounds like if somebody's like starting coaching with you and their digestion isn't in a good place, you're going to prioritize like quote unquote fixing digestion before we attempt any fat loss. Is that right? hundred percent. Yeah. Improving digestion and getting it to where it's no longer like a limiting factor where we've identified trigger foods or um, patterns or something like that, that they have done. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I would say I work, like I said, exclusively with males. Um, I would say probably 40 to 50% of, of new clients when they start digestion is literally just shit protein powder that they're, that they're using. Okay. They protein concentrate or something that's like, Oh, I'm, uh, you know, the Costco protein that's 
super Fruit Loop, you know, unicorn rainbow fucking flavor type shit. And I'm like, oh my God. It sounds delicious. <laughs> it okay. does. It does sound delicious, right? But it's not great for uh, your stomach a lot of times. So I would, like I said, 40% of the times it's just cleaning that, cleaning that up or people that are doing like four different types of shakes per day because they read that you need collagen in the morning, you need whey post-workout, you need plant-based in your fucking oats, and you need casein before bed type stuff. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, are you – so are you – I know you've mentioned before, like, we want to include the weird questions. Can you, like, dig into it when we're talking about digestion? Can you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, you, the short of it is, like, you got to talk about poop. It with your parents because yeah. it, people will think that I mean obviously you don't talk with like you talk about your poop with like strangers or new people that you've generally met but in terms of like nutrition coaching and stuff like that is that is 100% you know, stuff that you should be talking about just so that again matching expectations right you might have a client who has um, diarrhea like five six mm-hmm. times per week um, some days they're constipated, other days it's diarrhea, maybe they're super, super gassy, that sort of thing. And for them, that's normal because that's what it's right. always like. But you and I know it, that's not normal. And you need right. to let them know that like, no, that is not normal. And we need to dig in and see why that is happening. Because again, going back to that, you know, same client example, I would have it like, oh, well, my weight's fluctuating this week. Right. And then, and, and later in the check, and they'll be like, Oh yeah, I was I was constipated for three days this week. But they, because of the client, right? They're emotionally invested. They're not tying their constipation to their weight increasing, you know, day over day over day. Where to me, I'm like right. blatantly obvious. So it's important, right. like, to ask these questions so that you have enough pieces of the puzzle to really put it all together to see, like, you know, paint the picture of what they're dealing with each week. Okay, that makes complete sense. Do you have your clients like send you pictures of their poop? No, I don't think I ever have. But <laughs> like, Precision Nutrition has, I think, a really good I, infographic. That infographic, yeah, yeah I've seen that so many times. Yeah, it should be you know smooth, log-like looking thing, like floating down the river type. Yeah, I was just joking about like sending pictures of the poop. I normally just send the send the infographic, but I mean, I suppose we could if we if really I'm needed. Sure I suppose we could cross that bridge. Get once pictures, but I think I'm I think I'm good. So as far as digestion goes, I feel like we covered that pretty well. Um, finally, as far as stress goes, can you dig into just kind of like what we can do to mitigate this? Yeah. So the first one is really just asking questions. So um, stress is literally like the, the make or break one, really. Like if some of the other ones, maybe not digestion, maybe, <clears throat> but if like some of the other things are, are, are a little bit not the greatest, but like stress is in a really, really good spot. Um, I generally will feel pretty confident still, but stress, unfortunately, is generally the one you're going to find the most um, prevalent as well. So we just live in a very high stress, you know, modern Western society type of thing where people are, expectations are through the roof. People try and do way too much. Um, like I said, there's, you know, the whole work from home thing now is like, well, that just means you work all the time. It's not like, you know, it's over at five anymore. Um so that people who are doing the cardio on top of the CrossFit intensity, the spin class, um, that also aren't sleeping, right? So sleep and stress are obviously very, very tightly uh, correlated. Same thing with training and stress is obviously very, very tightly correlated. Maybe you need a deload. Maybe you need to reduce your total volume because your recovery capacity is diminished because we are now in week 14 of a calorie deficit type of thing. And, and right. these uh, diminishing recovery capacities are catching up to you. Maybe you just need to have some simple conversations with some of the relationships in your life, right? Um, right. Some big ones I've had. I've had two two clients this year quit their jobs because, like, I I'm, I'm not going to say they quit their jobs because of me, but I would just ask them, like, is 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 it worth it? Or if you're at a point where where maybe it isn't worth it anymore, and they talk to their, you know, their their families and. and their significant others are going like at this point in my life like what this is doing to me it's not worth it i will just go get another job and they have and things have been much easier since right in the in, in our in our western society like our jobs are such as it's a massive part of our lives probably much more so than another what we would call it you know uh westernized civilizations like in europe and stuff um 
And for a lot of people, it's just a huge negative thing. People get this crazy anxiety and stress when Monday comes around because they're, they just despise it so much. Um, and again, it's like I said, there are these indirect aspects for improving, you know, your client outcomes. And stress is a massive one there. It's a catabolic, it's, you know, when, when cortisol is elevated because of stress, it's a catabolic hormone, right? It's going to suppress, mm-hmm. or sorry, I don't speak in absolutes. It can suppress testosterone levels, right? It can suppress melatonin levels, right? Which is then going to impact the quality of your sleep. We know how important sleep is for fat loss. So it's like these these self-fulfilling prophecies of these kind of negative feedback loops that hinder us from reaching our goals with these things that aren't directly food in, food out, you know, reps, weight going up, weight going down type of thing. Absolutely. You did such a good job tying together all of this deeper than like just calories like these all these things that can have a massive impact on somebody's ability to lose body fat and i think kind of it's so important to continue like demystifying this because i feel like it is something that's just like so confusing and complex for so many people where it's like hey i mean like what seems like should be the right amount of calories right like why isn't this working and i know people get say frustrated in that place for years so um, man, so much application from this episode. Before I let you go, dude, will you just tell everyone where they can find you in anything at all you'd like to blog? Yeah, so um, you can find I'm most active on Instagram at uh, Aaron underscore Straker. You can hit my website, strakernutritionco.com. I also host a podcast with Brian Borstein called Eat, Train, Prosper. Um, on my website, you will find information for coaching and then for uh, other coaches out there. I also sell a uh, done-for-you client check-in system that I built to serve my clients and then found out that uh, a lot of people also want to use to help serve their clients. So uh, that's always a fun one that I like doing because people love it so much. And that is also on my website and on my Instagram. And I think that's it. Absolutely. And once more, like, again, you're one of the people I respect most in the industry. So I would say if you're a new coach looking to learn, there's like very few people I'd recommend as highly as I do you. And also from the tracker, we use your tracker also. So I appreciate that being such a dope resource for our clients. But again, man, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Jeremiah.